please turn to Ephesians chapter five. We'll continue our series on walking wisely, um, walking with Christ. And this week we're looking at what it looks like to walk wisely in marriage. So we're gonna be primarily looking at Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 to 33. For the next several weeks, we're going to look at how Christians can walk wisely in a few specific uh, arenas of life. As Paul moves through this text, he's helping us see what it looks like to, to honor Christ with our lives. And he moves into a section now of three arenas. And as we discuss these in the next several weeks, it might get a little tense. Uh, these are topics that can be heated a little bit. And so I just wanna remind you of a few things before we jump into these topics, okay? A few things we all just need to affirm and agree as we move into these. Number one, What you read in this word, in this book, is the author is God. This isn't something we made up. It's not even something Paul made up. What we're reading is the voice of God, his word to us. And so we believe and know that this is good. What he has for us is from him and it's good. It is authoritative, not because any man wrote it, but because God gave it to us. He passed it down to us. So we trust it that it is good, even when it's hard. The second thing I want us all to agree on is the author knows best. You and I, when we read difficult passages, interesting passages, we have to be willing to submit that the creator of the world knows better than we do. So we should not be surprised when we interact with something that challenges our worldview or our reality. It should be very common that you read the word of God and it challenges you. It would not be authoritative if it agreed 100% with Travis Walker. That would not be a very good book. Uh, My views are not always true. So we submit to the word of God because we know that it is, um, he knows best and is from him. And lastly, we submit to the text, even when it's hard even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult. We believe that we come under the text. Now we have all the freedom in the world to study it. The word of God can be difficult and challenging to understand. So we have all the freedom in the world to study it, to make sure we understand it, make sure we understand the author's original intent, uh, the narrative that it fits into, the genre that it fits to. We should know the text well, but once we've studied it, once we know it, we submit to it even when it's challenging and difficult. So I'm asking us to do that today. Let's just humbly submit to the word of God in a topic that could be difficult or challenging or prickly a little bit. Let's believe that it's from God. He knows best and it's your and I's privilege and responsibility to submit to it. So now let's enter in to the three, or at least let's see the three arenas that Paul discusses in the following verses. And we're gonna look at these in the next several weeks. The first one we'll look at today is the arena of marriage. How do Christians walk wisely in marriage? The relationship between husbands and wives. Next week, we'll look at the arena of the family and we'll look at the role of parents and children. And then the last week, we'll look at the arena of the workplace and we'll discuss the role of masters and servants. And again, this is geared towards believers and how do they honor God in these arenas of life? 
all of us will find ourselves in one of these categories, if not all of them. The vast majority of us will probably find ourselves in all of these categories. But I wanna to talk to those of you that are like, man, this arena doesn't uh, fit me. I don't fall into this one. This one. This one's not applicable. I wanna just speak to that real quick. The reason we study this arena, if you will, or this topic is not to learn a lot about marriage. What we're gonna learn most about is God. We study the word of God to learn about God and God's word, he will share with us his character and his will. So for those of you that are single in this, in this room, if you're looking at this topic of marriage saying this doesn't apply to me, why am I listening to this? The reason is because you're learning way more about God, his character and his will than you are about the topic itself. So this is very relevant for all of us because we desire to know God to know his will for our lives, his character, and obey him with our lives. And so as we look at this topic, even if you don't fall exactly into the, the married category or the family category, or the workplace category, it is relevant to you because you're learning about his heart. All right, so let's look at this uh, text. The main point of this passage before we read it is dealing with how followers of Christ live or walk. How do we live differently or distinctly in this life? Or what does it look like to live a life filled by the Spirit? As it says in chapter five, verse 18. So let me read for you today, Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 33. It says this, "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior.'" Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As we dive into this text, let me make a few observations. Let's just notice a few things about the text as a whole, and then we'll break the text down a little bit. Um, the first thing I want you to notice is that there is a God-given authority structure laid out in the text. Typically, when we read this passage, our mind jumps right away to the authority structure in the marriage, the husband and the wife, but it's way bigger than that in this text. This text teaches us a much, a much more robust authority structure given to us by God. And the authority structure does not start with the husband in your text. The authority structure starts with God himself. 
In our text, he clearly states that he is uh, the authority of all things. He is the maker and the owner of all things. And then he tells us who submits to him and is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So he's laying out for us how the world works and Christ humbly submits to the will of the Father doing his uh, will. And then we see underneath Christ, we have God, Christ, and underneath Christ, he tells us who submits to Jesus Christ, the church. The church submits to Christ. Christ commands us to live uh, holy lives that are honoring to him. And it is the church that submits to Jesus in all things. Then in kind of a parentheses, he describes for us who the church is. And as he tells us that the church submits to Jesus in all things, he defines who the church is in two particular roles, which is the husband and the wife. So we see that both the husband and the wife submit to Jesus in all things in their unique roles. So then the next thing we notice is we notice that there are different roles between the husband and the wife, but there are a lot of similarities as well. If you were to, if, as you read this text and study this text, you'll notice that there's a lot more similarities between the husband and the wife than there are differences. Let me share, share with you a few, like the common traits that are used. So there are different um, um, commands. The differences are to submit and to love. But if you were to boil those words down and define those terms a little bit, you'll see things that are very um, common to both, like kindness, respect, care, compassion. So it's very fair to say that the wife, you should care for your husband. You should respect your husband. You should be kind to your husband. Husbands, you should be kind to your wife. You should respect your wife. You should care for her. There are a lot of similarities between the two traits. Sometimes we focus so much on those words, we forget that kindness and, and care are common to both roles. Second thing I want you to notice is the similarities is if you're willing to underline your Bible or if you have a journal or a notebook, underline or circle every time the word as is used. It is used a lot in our text. Other translations define it as just as um, or to the degree that. This paragraph, this section is telling a much bigger story. It constantly refers to Christ and the church. And so as we look at marriage, the thing that we must observe in the text is that he's teaching us way more about how the church submits to Christ than to the specific roles. And so notice the many uses of the word as in our text. And then lastly, one of the similarities we notice is that both examples, so if you're gonna look for the, to, to the wife for an example, the example of how a wife should live is Jesus. And if you're gonna look for an example on how the husband should live, it's also Jesus. Jesus is the example to both the wife and the husband on how they ought to live. Both of us can, we fairly say, wives, be like Jesus. Husbands, be like Jesus. So don't get too um, frustrated with the different roles, see the similarities. Also, I want you to notice that marriage is a spiritual act of worship to God. How you relate to your wife is an act of worship. Wives, how you relate to your husband is an act of worship. Just as singing songs to God is an act of worship, how you relate to your wife at the lunch table later today is also an act of worship. And it is required of it is spirit enablement. 
In order to have a strong, healthy marriage that God requires, you're gonna need the Holy Spirit. This is a difficult task that you've been given to love your wives. And it's gonna require the Spirit and it's an act of worship. And the last piece of this is the key. The key is humility. Great wives are humble. Great husbands are humble. They understand the role and the responsibility they've been given and they don't think too highly of themselves and they honor God with their lives. Great husbands are humble. They understand the, the privilege it's been given to love this woman, to care for her, to respect her. They don't think too highly of themselves. They treat them better than themselves. They honor them. The key to a healthy marriage, a great marriage is humility. So let me summarize the text before we dive into the specific roles. First of all, the author of marriage is God. God knows how marriage works best. God knows the ultimate goal and purpose of marriage and it's to display his love. And lastly, as followers of God, we submit to his plan and his will. This is what he's trying to get to us in this paragraph, in this section. The author of marriage is God. God knows how marriage works best. His ultimate goal is to display himself. And as followers, we submit to his plan. All right, so let's dive into the two different roles. Let's look at the role of the wife first, because that's how Paul wrote it. So I'm not picking on the wives. I'm starting with how the text lays it out. And then we'll talk to the husbands for a little bit. So wives, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. The main command to the wife is to submit. And the moment I say the word submit, sometimes we bristle at the word. The hairs on the back of our necks stand up. We get frustrated and, oh man, here we go. Another message on submission. And our, pro our culture by nature has a problem with the word submit. We hate the word. We just don't like it. We think, when, when we think of the word submission, we think that submission is oppressive, hurtful, harmful, destructive, and archaic. We just view it as outdated. We shouldn't use that word anymore. It's not honest. It's not fair. Submission in our culture is many's greatest fear to have to submit to an authority. It's the enemy. And you know what the goal is? Independence, autonomy, and freedom. And so those two must go against each other, right? I'm either free or I have to submit. I don't wanna submit, I wanna be free. And so we bristle at that word. We bristle at this text because it goes against our worldview, our culture. Many times we see submission the way I used to see it when I was growing up. My brother and I used to watch the WWF. We used to watch mixed martial arts, UFC, get in the octagon and punch each other in the face. And then we'd go downstairs and we'd practice, right? So we'd wrestle and have some fun with it. My brother was older than me, therefore a little bit bigger. And so some point in the wrestling match, I would end up on the ground, my arm behind my back, my face in the carpet, his foot on my head and screaming insults in my ear. And I would yell, I submit, I submit, I give up, mercy, mercy, mercy. And so for a middle school boy, I had terrible PTSD over the word submission. I thought the word submission meant to tap out because you were in excruciating pain. No doubt I would hate the word submission. And I think our culture many times has the same PTSD. 
We view the word a submission as this terrible thing, as so much pain being inflicted on you, you want out of it. You want to get out of this terrible pain or, or, or frustration. But let me give you a better illustration for submission, because that's a bad one, okay? A better picture of submission is to willfully place yourself under someone's authority. That's my definition for you for submission, to willfully place yourself underneath someone's authority. Imagine you walk into somebody's house. Here's a better illustration. You walk into somebody's house, they invited you over. The moment you enter their house, you understand that you're, you're in their world and their rules rule the day. I don't know if this is you, but I get panicky a little bit. I walk into somebody's house and I'm trying to figure out the rules, right? Like, is this a shoe off house? Is this a shoe on house? Is there a mat? Do I need to wipe my feet? What are, what are the rules, right? And then I always allow the owner of the home to lead the way because it's their house. Do you want me to come in? Uh, okay, okay. Do you want, is this a kitchen table meeting? Is this a living room meeting? Is this a front room meeting? Like you're in charge. I submit to your authority, right? And then typically uh, we go and we have a seat and I don't demand a beverage or a bowl of cereal. That's just in stupid videos we make. Usually I'm let them lead the way. And so I'll, oh, oh, sure, I'll take a glass of water. I'm in your house. I'm not gonna demand freshly brewed coffee. I'm under your authority. I submit to your ways. And so sometimes we imagine that this word submission is always cruel or hurtful or harmful. I think a better definition is willfully placing yourself under the authority of someone else's leadership. You guys will have to agree with me, right? That every human being submits to someone living uh, autonomously, independently, free. That's, that's a myth. All of us submit to someone. You willfully put yourself under some authority structure all the time. But you have a boss, we all have government or a homeowner's association. Or somebody tells you what to do and you willfully submit or you leave. So when we moved to Ankeny, we willfully submitted ourselves to the rules of Ankeny. So I don't have loose chickens in my background. I don't get to light off fireworks today or any day of the year. And I don't get to fish with dynamite. I just kind of understand that Ankeny has rules, even though I don't love them, I won't, I, I'll submit to their rules. And if I decide I don't want to live under this oppression, I will move away and blow up fish another city. So all of us just come to the agreement that this is what it requires in order for us to live in this place. I think that's a better definition than the picture of the MMA guy with his face in the carpet of submission. Wives, let me talk to you just for a moment before we move on to the, to the men. Wives, as you honor God with your life, here's the, here's the request. Allow your husband to lead you. Allow him to fulfill his job description. Willfully place yourself under his leadership. Submit to your husband just as you submit to God. I'm not trying to say this command is easy. Please don't hear me say that. But I am trying to accurately explain, explain it. Willfully placing yourself under his leadership. As you read this text, hopefully your mind went to Genesis chapter two. I think Paul's trying to get you to think about Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter two, the role of Adam and Eve is explained. Let me read for you Genesis chapter two, verse 18. This is the role that Eve was given. 
It says this, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The helper is Eve. Genesis chapter two is so interesting because before Eve enters the picture, Adam's in the garden and he has a job to do. He's already been told how he can please God, how he can honor God with his life. He realizes, and then God realizes this task is too big for him. He needs a helpmate. And so God gives him Eve. And Eve is taken out of Adam's rib. Eve's job was to help Adam. Notice it was not to lead Adam or to be mistreated by Adam. Eve's job was not to be a servant nor a boss, but a helper. This is a pretty famous quote, but it begs repeating. Matthew Henry once said, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side, his rib, to be equal with him under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be loved by him. Does that sound oppressive and hurtful? I don't think so. Wives, rather than fearing the command to submit, we ought to view it as a good gift given to wives from the father and the creator of marriage willfully submit, come underneath his leadership, allow him to do his job, the job that God has given to him to do. Be a helpmate in that. All right, husbands, let me talk to you for a little while. Husbands, your command is to love your wife. You know how we bristle at the word submit? With husbands, we have the opposite problem. We don't bristle enough at the word love. We hear the command to love and we're like, easy peasy, that's not hard. A little peck on the cheek, a little see you later, babe, and I've loved her well. We hear the word love is too simple. It's, we love the word love. The word love has got to be the most overused word in the English dictionary. I say, I love my wife. Half hour later, I love sushi. And in my mind, they're very similar. I don't see the, this, the difference. Do you know the Greek language has six different words for the word love to help you understand the role and the difference that this plays? In our text today, the word love is the word agape. This won't be new to many of you. It's sacrificial love. It is unconditional love. When you look up the word love, it's, the definition literally is the love of God, the type of love God has for us. You should bristle at that. That's the command that's been given to you. You should love your wife the same way God loves you. Are any of us up for that challenge? That is an incredibly high bar. And I feel like sometimes we've lowered it too low. Agape love requires sacrifice. It requires giving up of what you have for the good of another. The other's well-being is higher than your well-being. That's agape love. This love demands action. It's not just emotional. 
Agape love requires work and energy and sacrifice. I think many times we read this passage and it seems like an easier task for the men than the woman. And we're like, well, that's not fair. I want you to know the bar is equally high. The bar, again, is Jesus. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Husbands, do you remember the day you married your wife and you stood at an altar at the front of a church and you stood before God and these witnesses and you promised to take care of her for the rest of her life, to hold her, cherish her, comfort her. And you made a vow before God that you would do that. So many times I think as time passes, marriages turn into obstacles in the way of our hobbies. And we eventually become more committed to our hobbies than we do to our spouse. Our vows to our hobbies start to outweigh our vows to our spouse. Husbands, no woman would struggle to submit to a husband who sacrificially gives of himself daily to care for her needs. Picture that marriage. Picture a husband who loves his wife sacrificially, giving of himself daily for her good, for her betterment. Do you think you'd have a wife who is bristling at the word submit? I don't think so. I think many times husbands get frustrated with their wives. and They're like, why won't she submit to me? Or my marriage is a mess instead of looking at their own life and their own heart. They haven't evaluated their own actions based upon the actions of Jesus. They just complain about their wife. Our greatest problem, marriages, is us. The greatest problem in the Walker marriage is Travis. The reason my marriage isn't stronger is because I'm not more like Jesus. The greatest thing I can do is learn and love Jesus, and that will cause me to learn to love my wife greater. So let me give you a definition for love. It's not already, already up there. Here's my definition of love. Willful sacrifice for the good of another. That's love. Willful sacrifice for the good of another. Husbands, that's your role. That's the bar. That's the standard. And if you're frustrated with your marriage right now, husbands, check your heart. Check your life. Check your actions. Don't point your finger at your wife. Are you loving her? Are you leading her? Are you, self, are you giving of yourself? Are you sacrificing for her daily? You want a strong marriage? Serve her better. Love her better. All right, let's move on to what marriage displays. This part's the easy part because Paul makes it so obviously clear. It's almost comical, isn't it? How often Paul in this passage points you to Christ and the church, to Jesus and the Father. It's like he knows we have thick skulls and he doesn't want us to miss it. So every verse, he's like, don't forget. Remember, it's about Jesus. Remember, it's Christ. It's, it's the church. It's God. He knows we're going to miss it. And so he makes it very clear. Marriages, what marriage displays couldn't be clearer. It, and, and this is what makes marriage, church, so important. Marriage is so important because it's not merely about just you and your spouse. It's not about your happiness. It's not about procreation. Marriage 
proclaims the gospel. Marriage, t- marriages tell the world what Christ is like. And couples in the room, healthy marriages proclaim the gospel well, and unhealthy marriages proclaim the gospel poorly. Believing couples in the room, can you just for a moment rate your marriage? Zero to 10, zero being terrible, 10 being great. Take a moment and rate your marriage. That number that you just landed on your head is the same number of your display of the gospel to those around you. You okay okay with that? The strength of your marriage is the number you are displaying Jesus appropriately. Uh, That convicts me, to be honest. My marriage is worth working on because it displays the gospel. And church, please know, Satan would love to destroy your marriage and make you think that dissolving your marriage isn't a big deal. Satan would love for you to get a divorce. Satan would love for you to get separated. Satan would love for you to live in different rooms. Satan would love for you to get along for the sake of the kids. He would love that because that erodes the picture of the gospel. And a strong marriage proclaims the gospel brilliantly. And so your marriage is worth working on. So let's be reminded of the gospel. What is the gospel and how is marriage a picture of it? The gospel is this, Jesus Christ, the son of God, perfectly submitted to the will of his father by humbling himself and coming to earth as a baby and perfectly obeying the father every single day of his life. Jesus submitted perfectly. And the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ perfectly loved his bride, the church, by laying down his life for her and dying in her place. Jesus perfectly loved. We look at Christ as the perfect example of both of these imperatives, submission and love. It's with full confidence that I say this to you. Wives, you can be like Jesus by submitting to your husband because Christ submitted to the Father for your sake. And husbands, I can say this with full confidence. You can be like Jesus and sacrificially love your wife because Christ laid down his life for you. I saw a beautiful picture of this just a couple weeks ago or a few days ago, I don't remember. Pastor Todd and I had the privilege to go to a home of a new, uh, a woman who's now a widow. She just got news that her husband passed away. And so we got to go to the house to be with her. And Pastor Todd asked her, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And her words were beautiful. She said, I just feel so grateful that I got to spend that many years with him. Every day of our marriage, I was loved. And the moment I heard that conviction flooded me because I'm not sure my wife would say the same. And I went home from that meeting challenged to work on my marriage better. Because you know what that woman and her husband had done? 
beautifully displayed the gospel for like 50 years. Everybody they came in contact with, their neighbors, their loved ones, saw a beautiful picture of Jesus in the gospel. I want a marriage like that. I want to work on my marriage so much that I can say with confidence, my marriage displays the gospel. My marriage proclaims the gospel to the world, to my neighbors. I want to work on my marriage for the sake of the gospel because it's worth it. It's worth the work. Here's your take-home truth. Again, I put this up here just for you to wrestle with, just to challenge you with, to work on. Go home after this, go to lunch after this and discuss this. I think it's worth the journey. Here's your take-home truth. How you love and serve your spouse is a direct reflection of how you love and serve your heavenly father. This should be a little convicting to you. Should be a little challenging to you. Here's, here's what I don't, I've been married 17 years, 18, darn it. Um, and I, I, I just think I can say this with full confidence. I don't think you can say, my marriage is garbage, but my relationship with Jesus is on fire. I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can say, my marriage is crumbling, just a mess, it's crumbling, but my relationship with Jesus is unbelievable. I've never been closer. I think you have to, with all, Sincerity, be willing to say how I love and serve my spouse is a direct reflection of how I love and serve the Heavenly Father. So let that be convicting to you. Let, challenge, let that challenge you. Consider it. As we move into a time of communion, I know how important this issue is, this topic is. I know how difficult marriage is, and so I'm not making light of this. I want to give you some time to wrestle with this and to consider your marriage. And so I've put some reflection questions up here. We're gonna move into a time of communion. So I would ask that you get your elements ready as I get mine ready. And I would ask you just to wrestle with these reflection questions for a moment before you take the elements. Jesus told us to examine ourselves before we take these. And if there's any sin in us, to repent to ask for forgiveness of the sin inside of us. And I don't think there's anyone in this room that if I were to ask the question, is your, is your marriage struggling? I don't think anyone in this room would, have, would be able to not raise their hand. I think all of us have room for improvement in our marriages and, and ultimately it might be sin in our lives. So I wanna just give you a moment before God and to give you some conversation to have with your spouse about how your marriage is doing. Here's the first one, husbands. Are you sacrificially loving your wife? Husbands, if you're not, repent. Ask for forgiveness. Confess your sins to God. Admit it to your wife. Take a moment before you take these elements and confess that to God and ask for his forgiveness. 2,000 years ago, he already forgave you. The forgiveness is yours for those who have faith in Christ. Confess your sins, admit it, repent, turn to Jesus and beg your wife to forgive you and promise to serve her better. Wives, are you willingly submitting to your husband, allowing him to lead the family spiritually and supporting him as he leads? And wives, if you're not, take a moment and repent. 
Ask for forgiveness from God and from your husband. Ask him to forgive you and tell him you, you, you desire a strong marriage. You, you want to serve him and, and, and submit to him. Confess that, repent and turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and Jesus will forgive you. And lastly, couples, maybe at lunch or on your way home, wrestle with this one together. Couples, is your marriage a solid picture of Christ's submission to the Father and love for us? And if it's not, repent. Ask for forgiveness. Confess your sins to your spouse and say, will you forgive me? I want our marriage to be a strong picture of the gospel. Can we work on this? I haven't been leading like I ought. I haven't been sacrificially loving you like I should. Will you follow my lead? Will you let me lead my family? And will you help me? Will you be the helper God's called you to be? to be. Confess your sins and repent. Church, I want to just give you a moment. I'll pray as you get your elements ready. And after I pray, we'll take the communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus's love for us. Thank you so much that he willingly came to earth, humbled himself by becoming like us, and he willingly laid down his life for us so that we could be your children. I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to live like Jesus. Give us the strength we need, the spirit empowerment that we need to represent you well here on earth. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.